Our sermon passage this morning comes to us from the New Testament from Philippians uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 16. But in order to uh, appreciate uh, the context of our passage, we shall begin reading at verse 1. But our main uh, focus shall be on verses 12 to 16. So please turn with me, beloved, to Philippians uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It's found on page 1828. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should Take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Thus far the reading of God's holy and precious word. May he bless it to our hearing uh, this morning. Brothers and sisters and, and dear friends, 
what comes to mind when I say the word race? Race. Well, well, perhaps what comes to mind is perhaps famous runners who have won Olympic gold medals. And this is something that we see every four years. And perhaps there are occasions in which we actually see live a witness of someone breaking an Olympic record, perhaps, on such occasions. And when we see the fastest runners in the world gather together in one place to compete against each other, to see who is the one, who is the one among all of these who will attain Olympic glory. Oftentimes what we hear is the story, is the background as far as how they arrived to this place. How, what was their journey, their Olympic journey, perhaps from humble beginnings all the way to the world stage in which they are there to display for all the world to see their athletic gifts and abilities. I'm sure in many cases they have dreams, perhaps childhood dreams, from the very beginning. And not only them, but as well as their parents have had dreams that they would one day achieve an Olympic medal. And so we learn about perhaps their childhood and how they grew up and how they sacrificed uh, in order to be able to be in such a position to be in competitive sports. And so we learn about how there are thousands of hours of training on the track field or in the gym. And we learn about all the ways in which they went through highs and lows, about victories and disappointments and discouragements, and how now here it has come to this moment, it has come to this place in which they have within their reach the prize that they have been dreaming all of their lives for. And it is amazing how it will all be decided, in certain cases, in just a matter of seconds. A matter of seconds, beloved. How humbling that is. All of these years of blood, sweat, and tears, all of these years of work and striving and sacrifice coming down to just a few seconds. You can see on their faces, on the starting blocks, just their concentration Right? as they're focused on their goal, as they're focused on their objective, how the finish line is just within reach, if they just strain forward enough, if they're just the first one to be there. They have their eyes on the prize. Well, Paul applies this a sports analogy to help us understand the Christian life, our race of faith, if you will. And he helps us to understand what we are striving after, what our goal should be, what is the nature of our race, and what should be our attitude in this race of faith. And so as we turn to this portion of scripture, which helps us understand the Christian life in this race of faith, we will consider three points this morning. First, our goal in the Christian life. Second, our race. And third, our attitude. And so we'll begin with the first point, our goal. Our goal. In order to appreciate this passage, it's important to understand what the context is. What are the things that came prior to this passage? And how do we get to this point here in the book of Philippians? Well, in chapter 1, we see that in chapter 1, 
It starts out at the beginning saying, thank you, Philippians. Thank you for being my partners in the gospel ministry. That from the first day until now, you have been partners with me that I would be supported and prayed for and that I had have my needs taken care of, you know, as I strive to plant churches and be a missionary all over the Roman world and all over the Mediterranean. And says, thank you. Not only are you my partners and but you're my friends, and that I have you in my heart. And when I offer prayers, they're prayers of joy because we have this relationship with each other. And so in the beginning of this epistle to the Philippians, he expresses his gratitude, his appreciation for his dear friends, the Philippians. And then he gives a ministry update about how things are going and how the gospel is advancing. Yes, even while he's in chains. And then in chapter 2, he changes topics by talking about the importance of Christian unity within the body of Christ. He talks about how it is important to be of one mind and to make his joy complete, that if we all have the same attitude in which we are humble servants in the house of the Lord, in which we are one, in which we are united, in which we are coming together, as the body of Christ, to glorify the Lord as a congregation. And then in chapter 3, the chapter we'll be focusing on this morning, we can understand the organization of chapter 3 if we consider three things, guilt, grace, and gratitude. So we know that, for example, at the beginning, from verses 1 to 6, he talks about how he was guilty as a sinner uh, before his conversion, his mindset, his mentality, as far as how he understood salvation prior to his conversion, prior to when Jesus revealed himself to him. And he talks about how he used to be self-righteous and saying, you know, and boast about his spiritual resume. I came from Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You notice that prior to the Lord saving him and giving him a new heart and making him a new creation in Christ, prior to that, that he had all this confidence about his spiritual lineage and pedigree, about his spiritual resume, how he wanted to boast about himself. Lord, surely you must love me. Look at my family. Look at the tribe in which I came from. Look at all these things that I have done in your name. I was a persecutor, dear Lord. I had zeal for the traditions of my fathers. I had zeal for the law. Certainly, Lord, you must love me and give me a warm, rich welcome into your kingdom if you just look at my background and look at my accomplishments. That's what he used to think. That's what he used to believe. And then by the grace of God, he repented of that self-righteous attitude and that pride, that spiritual pride that filled his heart. And so here, at the beginning, he used to have confidence in the flesh, but no more. His confidence now is in Christ Jesus. Christ is his righteousness. And he has received this righteousness by faith. And so then we read, for example, in the following verses, in verses 7 to 11, We learn this total change 
and mindset and thinking. You know, we see how he has changed. And he's sharing, if you will, his testimony about his conversion story. How this is how I used to think. This is how I used to be. And now this is who I am today. And this is what I believe. And when I think about the importance of God's grace, it's God's grace. And what does grace mean? It means God's unmerited favor. That we receive this great salvation from the Lord. These wonderful promises of God in the gospel. The promise of forgiveness of all of our sins. The promise of righteousness in Christ's perfect life of obedience. His perfection. His holiness. Credited to our account by which we embrace it by faith. All these things we receive according to the riches of God's mercy and grace. Something that we do not deserve, dear ones. None of us deserve this. But it is given to us as a gift. This is for you. This is yours. This is your rich spiritual inheritance, which you have received by the grace and love and mercy and compassion of God. What we deserve is wrath, judgment, condemnation, the cross itself. That's what we actually deserve because of our sinfulness. But we do not receive those things because we are in Christ. And for all those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. We are found in him, our savior, our life, our joy. And now he has given us a new heart. When with this new heart, not only to the apostle Paul, but to us as well. By the grace of God, we have this new heart where rather than pride, there is now humility. And now where there used to have desires for worldly things, now we have desires for those things which are eternal and not things which those are temporal. We have new desires, dear one. And we are like the deer that pants after the water brooks. So my soul pants after you, dear God. You are my heart's desire. I find my joy, my satisfaction, my happiness in you and you alone. And in light of such a great salvation, I want to live a life of gratitude to say thank you, dear Lord. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for taking me, a poor sinner, lost in his sinfulness, lost in his iniquities and transgressions, but now is found in Christ. And now it's my heart's desire to live a life of gratitude. And as we read at the beginning of verse 12, if you will, the beginning of verse 12 is the gratitude section here in chapter 3, in which here he talks about how he wants to live for Christ because Christ has taken hold of him. And here we read in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Christ Jesus took hold of me. We are Christ's possession. We belong to our faithful Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord, body and soul, in this life and in the life to come. This is our comfort that we belong to him and that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit who gives us the assurance that we are one of God's children. 
and we belong to the Lord. And since we belong to the Lord, we want to live for him, live for him, and know him more, and grow in our communion and love for him. And the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of faith in Christ, the gift of repentance of our sins, and gives us that assurance that we truly belong to the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, and as we grow in our Christian walk, as we grow in greater maturity in Christ, we know that this is, if you will, progressive sanctification, that as the years go by and as the Holy Spirit is indwelling in us and produces the fruits of the Spirit by the grace of God, that we will grow and grow in greater Christ-likeness to the glory of his name. And this is what, how we want to honor our Lord in this life. And so here, it's very interesting, because here in verse 12, he makes a very interesting comment. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. So as we grow in our walk, we are acutely aware of our shortcomings, of our sinfulness, of our weaknesses, of areas in which we need to grow. And we realize that we will not attain perfection in this life. Even the best among us, among us here, have only the smallest beginnings of the obedience which God requires. It is only in glory. It is only in the heavenly places. It is only in the new creation in which we will be able to obey God perfectly in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. So this should cause us to be patient. Patient with ourselves, patient with each other, with our weaknesses and our shortcomings and our sinful tendencies. Of course, not to be so patient that we do not want to grow. We should encourage each other to grow. We should build each other up in the faith and to grow in Christ. But at the same time, we realize we rely upon the Spirit in order to grow. And what is our heart's desire, dear ones? What is our heart's desire? To be with Christ in the heavenly places. That is our heart's desire. To obey him perfectly one day in glory with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And there have communion with the Lord perfectly. And so here we read, for example, in verse, in verse 12, But I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Pressing on should be growing, maturing in this race of faith, pressing on toward a greater love and communion with our Lord Jesus. And what does that phrase mean, pressing on? It means a persistent quest for a goal with a praiseworthy motive. And so we are persistent, we're persevering, we're growing. This is what we're after. What we long for more than all things is perfect communion with the Lord in glory. And now to our second point, our race, our race. The Lord has put us on this straight and narrow path. The Lord has put us in this path that leads to himself. He, we are pilgrims on the way, if you will. Pilgrims progress. We are on the way to the celestial city. And Jesus is always with us in this race of faith. 
We are not relying upon our own strength in order to do this. Who of us can survive and continue on this pilgrim journey in our own strength? No, no one can. This is why we rely upon the Lord to give us grace for the race. And we look forward to the future. We look forward to what is to come. And here we read part of that here in verse 13. Here now we read verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So like an athlete, we are reaching toward our goal. We can see the finish line. It's right there. It's like it's within reach. I can see it. We're straining forward with all our strength, with all our energy, with all our mind and might. We know what we're after. We know what we're longing for. And Paul has not yet reached it. But how did he live? How did he live? He was not idle, just sitting down, just passive. He was active. What was he doing? Planning churches, checking on those churches that were already established, helping those grow in their faith. And let us likewise, dear ones, be active in our service to the Lord. Let us be active as we labor in the Lord's vineyard as we are racing and are running this race of faith. Let us not be idle, but let us think, how can we help the Lord? And some of us may think, well, pastor, I don't have the energy that I used to have. (laughs) Maybe you do since you're younger, but brother, I just don't have that energy anymore. Well, beloved, I would say this, in that case, pray, pray for the advancement of God's kingdom, pray for those missionaries, pray for your minister, pray, we need so much prayer and so many prayer warriors, dear ones, and that is a wonderful thing to be able to do and a wonderful thing in order to be able to serve the Lord, praying for the advancement of God's kingdom, praying for our city, praying for South Holland praying for the neighborhoods around this church, praying for the communities and the cities that are within driving distance, that they would come here in this place and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for the Spirit of God to be at work, not only in our hearts, but in the hearts of those that live close by that God would give them the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, give them a new heart, regenerate their heart, change the disposition of their heart, that they would sing his praises alongside us, sitting next to us here in this place. Pray for his kingdom and give praise to him for his righteousness. And that we know that in this world, that is not an easy thing. We know that even in our prayers, it's so easy to be distracted. In this world in which is full of entertainment and full of various ways which calls our attention, which is, we get easily distracted. You know, they're with technology or certain places or certain programs or certain things. It's like, 
in this culture, uh, there's almost like the sin of boredom. And dear ones, I understand that there are, we are in a spiritual warfare. This is not an easy thing. We are fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world with its temptations and its distractions, in which it's promising all these pleasures. And then we think about, you know, the devil with his lies and distorting the word of God and distorting the truth and taking our, wanting to take our eyes off Christ. And then there's our flesh, our flesh, which in other words, and when we read that word flesh, it's referring to our sinful desires. And so we are in a spiritual fight. This is spiritual warfare, dear ones. And at times, we're our own worst enemy, in which we also get distracted. Maybe, perhaps, it's not the distractions of the world, but perhaps we're living in the past, and we're so focused on the past, and thinking, oh, I'm thinking about my past life and, you know, things that happened long before, rather than focusing on the present and the future. And we notice here, Look at verse 13 once again, dear ones. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. We notice that here in the Apostle Paul in his ministry, he had a very future orientation. What needs to be done? What needs to happen? Where is the Lord leading me to serve? He wasn't focused and just thinking about the past all the time. Oh, before I used to be a persecutor of the church. Oh, before this and that, that was my old way of thinking. And pounding his chest, saying, mi culpa, mi culpa, mi gran culpa. No, he did not spend his days doing that. But he was rejoicing in the Lord's forgiveness, rejoicing in the salvation that he had by God's grace, and pressing forward, saying, what is to be done? He focused on what he needed to do now, what he needed to be done in the future. How can I glorify the Lord in the short term and the long term? A runner does not constantly look back, but looks forward, dear ones. I'm sure some of you, if you've been keeping track of the recent Olympics, perhaps the last three, perhaps you've seen Usain Bolt run his races and collect in, uh, his medals and run all these impressive races. You see all the runners that are beside him, the finest runners in the world, gather together competing against one another to see who will achieve the gold medal. They are focused on what they have to do, focused on the prize, not constantly, constantly looking back, but straining forward about what needs to be done, dear ones. And here we read about that in verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And what is this upward call? What is this heavenward call? It is that what I long for. And day by day it grows closer and closer. That one day I will have perfect communion with Christ in heavenly glory. Oh, what a blessed day that will be that I will be with my Lord, and he is my delight. He is my joy. In him, I find satisfaction. He, I have communion and fellowship with him. 
I delight in him, and that is what I long for. See, this is not the first time that Paul was speaking about such things. No, if we learn, we learn earlier something along the same thought in verse 8. If you return with me to verse 8, here we read this. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. You see, you see all these things that are maybe beckoning our attention. All these things in which, oh, this, you know, this gives me joy or pleasure or delight. And, of course, you know, we are not to uh, be, we are thankful for the Lord's good gifts. He gives us good gifts. He gives us our daily bread. He gives us all of these wonderful and, and good gifts. But we must never, but we must make a distinction and realize that we must be far, far more grateful for the giver than for the gifts. What we are thankful for is the giver himself of these good gifts, who is Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, all things are rubbish compared to knowing Christ, dear ones. And what, when we talk about the prize, we have to clarify the meaning of the word prize. Because perhaps some of us may think, oh, prize. Oh, maybe that's something that I deserve. Or maybe something that I've earned or merited. Oh, the prize. But we know that we're talking about the spiritual prize, the spiritual gifts that we have. They are gifts of God's grace, freely given towards us by the abundance of his love, showered upon us. It comes from him, gifts which we do not deserve according to the richness of his grace. So here when we read about the gifts of God or the prize we know that it was done and given to us according to the mercy of the Lord, dear ones. And so now it is freely given according to God's will. And we rely upon the Lord as we run this race. The work he has begun in us, he will certainly finish. And as we close with our third point, with our, our attitude, what should be our attitude? Now when we think about a race, this is not your typical race. Because when you think about the Olympic Games and all these runners that are lined up going towards the same destination, we are not, they are competing against one another. They're saying, who can outdo all the rest? But in our race of faith, it is a totally different dynamic, and we have a totally different attitude. We are not competing one with the other. No. In fact, the opposite is true. We're supporting each other. All of you, each of you, have been given gifts, talents, resources by which you should use for the building up of Christ's church, the building up of each other when there is a need. And so here, our mindset is different than from a competitive running race because in that case, and like in the Olympic Games, they're trying to outdo each other. But here... We're not trying to outdo each other, for we all have a place in the body of Christ. We all need each other corporately to work together, to function as one body. We cannot say, oh, I do not need my hand, or I do not need the foot. We need all parts of the body, working together with Christ as our head, and doing all things for his glory and for the benefit 
and edification of our neighbor. So we want to build each other up as humble servants, dear ones. And here we read in verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Those who are mature believe this way. And may the Lord nurture within our hearts, within our minds, this attitude in which we come together as humble servants wanting to serve the Lord, to serve each other in love and mercy, knowing that we are the recipients of God's love and mercy. Let us share that with one another and with our neighbors. As we run this race together, as we strive for and long for greater communion with the Lord, may the Lord be glorified in this place and give us his Holy Spirit to grow in our faith and run this race. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly and gracious Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your beloved Son, Lord, whom we cherish and Lord love. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is at work in our hearts and in our lives and pray that you would give us grace for this race. Lord, how we long for greater communion with you and fellowship with you and how we long for that blessed day, O oh Lord, in which we shall, Lord, obey you perfectly with our thoughts, our words, and actions. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have started in us, and we know that you will bring it to completion, and we know that you are beside us. And, O oh Lord, we know that you are with us, and we rejoice in your love and in your presence and in the equipping of your spirit. Lord, we do this with grateful hearts, being so thankful for what we have received in Christ Jesus, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.